Well, I am assuming that many of us want to pray better. Many of us want to pray more effectively. That's what this month is about, that we could pray more and pray more effectively. There's a prayer in the Bible here that I think helps us to understand how we can do that and what's involved as we pray for others. I uh, got a call this week from a friend who was so distraught and so lonely, calls the police and has them come to the house just so he could talk to somebody. Wasn't anybody else you could think of. God's love seems so distant. That seems kind of sad. I would like to think that there is a reality of God's presence that could be so palpable. We could sense it, know it. It could fill up our hearts. That is the kind of thing that I think Paul prays for here in Ephesians chapter 3. It's the kind of thing I think we're to pray for for one another. Let's open up this passage. Ephesians 3.14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now we learn from the previous chapters in Ephesians that the Jews and the Gentiles were brought together through the gospel in Christ. And as a result, they share a common relationship with the Heavenly Father. It's the Heavenly Father who names the Jew and the Greek, who unites the Jew and the Greek. So we can choose to recognize this Heavenly Father and His Lordship now, or we can choose to recognize that later in a day of judgment where it says, every knee shall bow and recognize Him as Lord. There's been an awful lot of talk the last few weeks about whether we should stand or whether we should sit or whether we should kneel at the national anthem. I only wish that Christians were half as concerned about how they prayed. This is what the psalmist says. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are also his. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We see in this passage a a respect, a humility, and a corresponding posture when we pray. We come equally with equal access to the Father, and we have a name, it says. We might say an identity. And that our identity in Christ marks us as a people 
It's the most important thing about you. It is more important than you being an American. It's more important than you being white or black. It's more important than you being a janitor or a lawyer or a doctor or a housewife. That God names us as his children. That's our identity. That comes from the Father because of our connection in Christ. And so it's with a a tone of reverence and appreciation that we pray for one another. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here we learn, if we're going to pray for one another, we pray for spiritual health. Now, the only way that we can progress in the Christian life is if God provides us everything we need so that our inner person, the the Scripture calls it the inner man, has all the resources it needs to grow. And God provides us that in Christ. He gives us riches and strength for spiritual health. Now, spiritual health always trumps physical health because we benefit in every area if we are spiritually healthy, whereas physical health is limited. Why is that? It's because the inner man, the inner person, is the real you. It's where your your spirit is housed. It's where the new nature in Christ is. That's where that is. So we want to strengthen that part of us. I mean, let's face it, we are preoccupied in this culture, and not just this culture, but it seems around the world, many people are preoccupied with the outer man, the body. We take medicine and and herbs and protein drinks to make sure that the body is healthy. We buy clothes for the outer man. Some hire people to help the outer man stay in shape. We even pay people to tell us how to dress. But the older you get, the more the outer man declines. While the inner man should constantly be strengthened and getting stronger and growing and maturing. Paul prays, for us to be strong in the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner person. It says that the power of the Holy Spirit is given to us according to the riches of his glory. I mean, spiritually speaking, God owns everything along with Christ, and we are in Christ, so what does that mean for us? That we are inconceivably rich in the spiritual dimension. How many of you feel rich today? Not many. But spiritually speaking, we are. Spiritually speaking, we should all be raising our hands when we're in Christ. I mean, we usually operate on a fraction of that knowledge, on a a fraction of that even experientially, but we are rich. We fail to realize the truth of our glorious resources in Christ. 
What does that mean specifically? How may we know of these riches? Well, I love the way this passage just kind of builds one verse on the, the previous one. First of all, we pray for Christ's love to permeate through us, that you being rooted and grounded in love. This is a part of the riches we have is the love of God. Singer Sheryl Crow said in the interview magazine, I think everybody on this planet feels alone even when they're in the greatest relationship or surrounded by family. In fact, in many ways, when you're with someone you care about, you feel more alone than if you were by yourself. I don't want to spend the rest of my life alone. That's the only true fear I have because what else is there but love? Not to sound completely elementary, but it's what people have written songs about for hundreds of years, and it's really the only thing that matters. It's what motivates you, edifies you, encourages you. It's what brings you the most joy and the most wisdom. So that is what I long for, the consummate love. I think she's right. The question is, where are you going to get that? I want to suggest to you today, and I think it's what Paul is asking us to pray for for one another, that the love of God is to nourish not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with other people. See, I think without an idea and without the experience of the love of God, we get stuck in our relationships. I mean, what is it that compels me as a spouse to address the issues in a marriage? What is it that when I don't feel like it, when maybe I'm hurt, compels me to move toward my spouse to love? I think it's what Paul's talking about right here. It's the love of God. It's the fuel for progressing in our relationship with one another and in the faith. I mean, one of the most important questions I think we can ask ourselves as a Christian is, from what do I draw my nourishment and my stability? Think about it. Where do you get your nourishment? I mean, some people say, well, I need to go work out. And that has some benefit, but that's where I get my nourishment. That's, that's my high, or I need to eat something, or a particular thing. That's where I get my high. Nothing wrong with that, mind you. But let me suggest a much greater nourishment for the inner person, the love of God, residing in that space, soaking in the love of God. And these roots have to go deep into the love of Christ. It's what nourishes us. It's what the foundation is, according to Paul. The root and foundation are God's love. That's what his love does for us. Listen to what Jeremiah has to say about nourishment. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water and sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I think one of the reasons that Christians tube out in their walk with God or even tube out in a community of faith 
is that when hard times come, they forget about the love of God. Uh, Self-protection becomes the goal. Fleeing the situation becomes the modus operandi. I mean, that's our culture, is it not? We flee. What does it look like for Christ to nourish your soul in difficult times? I mean, when tempted to fear, when tempted towards anxiousness, or maybe drowning in in insecurity, doubt about another person's love for you, can we really truly lean upon the presence of Christ, the promises of Christ? Can that truly encourage us? Can the power of Christ truly enable us? I want to say yes, he absolutely can. The second daughter of Queen Victoria was Princess Alice. Alice's son, at the age of four, was afflicted with a horrible disease known as black diphtheria. Doctors quarantined the boy. People were not supposed to come in contact with him at all. But the mother couldn't stay away. One day, she overheard him whisper to the nurse, why does my mother never kiss me anymore? Those words melted her heart. So what did she do? She ran to her son, smothered him with kisses. It only took a few days for both of them to be buried. But God heard humankind whisper, doesn't God love us anymore? And what did he do? He sent his son. He, in essence, kissed humankind. And his death and his resurrection secures for us the ability to enjoy this connection, this relationship with God. Verse 18, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the the breadth and length and height and depth. Paul is praying here that we He wants the love to be experienced, that the the knowledge would be experiential, not just a head knowledge. How is that? Notice how he prays. With all the saints. Love is not learned in isolation. It is learned in the company of saints, in community with others. And it has great impact. That's why Jesus prayed in John 17 that the world would know that you have sent me by the way my disciples love one another. Nothing's going to impact our outreach more than people looking upon the body of Christ and saying, man, those people really love one another. I mean, love is elevated to of supreme value in our Christian life. So much so, Paul told the Corinthians, hey, listen, you can have faith to move a mountain. You can sound the gong, make a wonderful noise, make a flash, 
show some great, you know, spiritual gifts and wow people. You can have a great show on the stage. You can fill the building. But you don't have love, you've got nothing. That's a zero. That's a goose egg. Love. And listen, all the criticism you get from people in the culture about the church, isn't it really, isn't it really a cry for, can't the church just be what it's supposed to be, to love one another? I think people are aching to see that. Because in our hearts, we yearn for that. We don't see it anywhere else in Hollywood to the, you know, six-second relationships that they have. You don't see it in families that are splitting apart, it seems. Humanly speaking, it's hard to find. Where can we find this love that our heart yearns for? God says, I want it to be in my church. I want it to be in the way that people treat each other. We don't impress people by smoke and mirrors on the stage. Our best advertisement is you. You working out your issues at work in love. You, as hard as it is, working on the marriage to love. You loving your kids as hard as it is sometimes. Kids loving the parents. Differences being worked out. Listen, the American church does not seem to have a very strong stomach for community. And when that happens, I want to suggest our love is stunted. But love has to be stretched to great lengths and heights and depth. When conflict occurs, when kids get upset and angry, when, when I don't want to forgive, the fleshly response is to want to flee. We get it. Happens in families, at work, at church. It's the coping mechanism of our culture to flee. What does love do? It gets stronger. When at all possible, be at peace with all men. Love, stay in the situation. Work out the differences. Have the difficult conversation. Conflicts have to be worked out in love for love to go deep. And what this says to us, love is not easy. Love is hard. Love is uncomfortable. How do you think Jew and uncircumcised Gentile could come together and be at one in the church if it was not for the love of God being shed abroad in their hearts, the gospel bringing them together Two people at opposite ends coming together. If we're considered the people of God and we are to have love as our significant mark upon our lives, who is God calling you to love? Who's that hard person? 
Who's that person on the other end of the spectrum? Could it be a person of a different religion, a person of a different color? Maybe it's a person right in your household. See, the length of God's love stretches us from eternity past to eternity future. That same love is yours, 24-7. We can access that because Christ lives within us. The height of God's love says that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies. That's how high that is. We can never exhaust God's supply. Our needs never tap him out, right? We can approach him at any time. Now, if you're human, we have this thing called the brain. We have a memory. And why is it it seems our memories like to focus on failures and the things that cause us shame? Don't they often? How about replacing that if we can? You can't just say to yourself, stop being guilty. You can't just say to yourself, stop thinking about shame. It doesn't work that way. You have to replace it with something. What do you replace it with? I'm a child of God. God has forgiven me. I am valued by God. He loves me unconditionally. See, his love is broad enough to reach anybody. It's long enough to be limitless. It's high enough to supply every need. It's deep enough to cover any sin. Don't forget, God used the prostitute. God used the man that was a murderer. But God's love is awfully long and high and deep. We also pray that God would be our source of all things and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What does it mean that we're filled with the fullness of God? That sounds like a lot of Christian ease to me, doesn't it? What does that really mean? In practical terms, what does that mean? Well, I think we're faced with a lot of different things to fill our hearts, right? You know, we can get focused on stuff like, man, I would love to have that new TV. I'd love to have that house. If I'd only had this new car. And nothing wrong about buying those things, don't get me wrong. But you ever notice how we just kind of get fixated on stuff like that? Do we not? Or it might even be our kids and their accomplishments or even a spouse or obtaining a spouse, what, What we do is we equate, we make that equation, I'll be happy when I get any of those things. What God is saying is, erase all of that. It can only be me. Relationship with him. Christ is our all in all. He fills us up. I think this is practical. I think this is real. I'm not up here just blowing smoke. Earlier this week, 
something that was really bothering me. I mean, for days, really bothering me. And I was going before the Lord, reading a passage, asking for direction, and this, this passage just kind of jumped off the page. I kind of had a, a space for my spirit to kind of go to and, and get some direction and get some wisdom. And it was just like, it, it was like this, you know, 50-pound sack of potatoes was lifted from my shoulders. Now, I didn't talk to any person, didn't go buy anything, didn't read a book. It was just me and the Lord meeting together. This, this burden was lifted, and I'm like, wow, God, thank you for that. It was just very real, very palpable. That's what communion with God can do for us as we, as we lean into him, as we seek him. That's what he wants to do. He wants to meet with us and, and his spirit whisper to us that he dearly loves us and cares. Ephesians 4.10 says that he might fill all things, or 4.13, that we might come to the stature of the fullness of Christ all-encompassing, complete. All things are influenced by him. All things run through him. All things are done for him. Seeing him as the source of our life. You know, I think it's easy to be filled with self, is it not? I don't have to work hard at being filled with self. I don't have to work hard at being arrogant or being prideful. Those things just kind of naturally seep out, do they not? <laughs> You're saying, we've been waiting for you to realize that. We've been trying to tell you, right? But seriously, it, it's, self is just ever-present. And then self seeks satisfaction in, in all kinds of things. So I, I have to be deliberate in nourishing the love of God in my life and drawing near to God. It doesn't, you know, you don't sleep on your Bible, put it under your pillow. Oh, God, I pray that by osmosis it'll enter in and just, you know, seep into my head and my heart. It doesn't work that way. We have to enter into relationship. So we pray that God would be the source of all things. And lastly, we pray for God's glory to be our purpose. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Again, notice, the work is in us. I'll pray for people to be healed. I, I pray for a lot of things to happen circumstantially for people, but I think what Paul is concerned with here and I think what God wants us to be more concerned with is what's going on in the heart, what's going on in the, in the inner man within us. We aren't just praying for comfort, for escape, for riches, but when we're filled with, the, with Christ, our desires align with his. He is able and above to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, he says. Constantly working in us, constantly surprising us with his work, just like he, he surprised me earlier in the week. Far beyond what we would ask from an external sense. You know, we had, had a son when he was born, had 
heart surgery. You pray for healing. But God had something else in mind, far more than just taking care of the physical body. It was something he did in us, something he did in us as a couple inside of us. Far more important to God than just a heart. Not to take away that God can't do wonderful things, external things. He does. And I'll certainly pray for that. You say, but didn't Christ say that his disciples would do greater things than he did, like in John 14, 12? Well, he did, but what did he mean by that? I mean, does that mean since uh, Jesus turned water into wine, I can take one beer and create a brewery out of that beer? Wouldn't that be an awesome miracle? Okay. I think it's something else. Jesus is saying, listen, I was one man on this earth, and I was able to be in one place at one time and do miracles. But now with you disciples, you are going to multiply, and in 2,000 years, I would assume there have been millions of Christians who all around the world are going to spread the work of God, and that is going to be much greater. He's talking about the extent of the ministry of Christ is expanded because of the disciples. So they will do greater work than what just one can do. We want to see God's magnificent power displayed in the church. As men and women come together of different backgrounds, different races, religious, irreligious, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, coming together, Democrat, Republican, coming together in one body, learning to live in unity. Is that any less miraculous than any other miracle on earth? I don't think so. They express grace to each other working through the issues with respect and love, which basically means you can't be on Facebook and do that at the same time. I'm being facetious, but I get so hacked at the the amount of anger and just the stuff that we put into our posts, the emotion, the the division, the picking of sides. Where's the gospel? Where's the love? Isn't that to be preeminent? I mean, listen, I am really against abortion. I couldn't be any more against abortion But I want the abortionist and the woman who's getting the abortion and the guy who got her pregnant, first of all, to know I love him. That's the most important thing. How do you expect them to take your moral stance if they think you don't give a wit about them? We're missing the point. The most important thing is to love well. Anything else that follows after that is gravy. And by the way, 
I don't think we as Christians are called to change all the moral standards in our society, to change all the laws to reflect us. That's not my call as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, you may disagree, but I think we have to get our priorities aligned. And I think love reigns. Two greatest commandments. What? Make everybody Republican and make sure they carry my morals, right? No. Love God and love one another. And everything else is subservient to that. Man, do we need to have this hammered into us, do we not? We forget. We forget. I think God's glory is diminished every time a Christian refuses to forgive, every time a Christian flees in anger, every time a Christian hangs on to some personal agenda. God's plan was for us to display his work in unity and love now and forevermore. God can restore your heart with a genuine love for that person who may be on the other side of the political spectrum, for that person in your household who, if the truth be known, you hate. God wants you to love them. Lay down the difference and just love them. Are you feeling like maybe God has abandoned you? Let me suggest that when Christ dwells in your heart through faith, you can experience a contentment that exists regardless of your paycheck, regardless of your circumstances. Are you feeling a load of shame and guilt, castle being replayed? Are you entangled in some kind of bondage? A lot of bondage that's available to us. Sex, materialism, food, all kinds of things. We feel bad, we do these things. We, we cover up the feelings, right? How about we say yes to God and allow the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts at that time, to maybe just be still. Say, okay, God, I want your love to permeate my life and my heart right now. When you experience the depth and the height and the length and the breadth of love, you'll know that that is the essence of our relationship with God, and that becomes the nourishment and the foundation at which we can relate well to one another. I don't know about you, but I find it's really hard to love well. There are some people you just don't like. I'm not going to give you a list, but you, you know they're there, right? To love well. You get really hurt. I mean, things that are cause deep pain. How can you love? All I can say is it's supernatural at that point. It's supernatural. 
I have to admit my frailty. I have to admit my, how prone I am to not forgive, how prone I am to keep it offense and, and daily. And sometimes it seems like 100 times a day, I say, okay, Lord, you know, this thought just came into my head. Help me to forgive this person. Help me to love well when I have opportunity. Help me to do that. And God may surprise you with what he's asking you to do, to love well. But when you step into that, that's when I think the surprises really kind of expand and you see God working in a way that you never would have imagined. And see, I think that that is miraculous. I think God deserves great glory for that. I think when God puts those relationships together and works in that way, I mean, I, I, I could get five people up here. Oh, this guy was healed of blindness yesterday. Woo, great. This person had a broken leg, and look how God healed him. Woo, this person had cancer, great. Praise God for that. But over here, you got a husband and wife who've been fighting like cats and dogs and now they love each other. Is that any less miraculous? No, in fact, I'd say more so because that's a heart thing. You got a, a friend who hasn't talked to his friend for years because he got ticked. And God's working in his life now to forgive that person. And a, a new relationship has begun to sprout. Is that any less miraculous? than the person over here is healed. I think it's even more so. But this, this sure has great stage presence over here. But this is where real life is. This is where we're at daily. That's where we live. And that's why we're so needful of God's touch in our life. Let's pray.